The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it run it again hello and welcome i'm not going to so quit asking when you give me a hard time for the listeners that didn't get to go this is the payback Alabama wins. what you did last year really doesn't matter our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play hi hello and welcome to an old school gut check edition of the alabama football podcast I enjoy my Tide improving, my playstyle complimentary, and my Saban salty. Coincidentally, that's exactly what Alabama served up Saturday in Cowbell Town. My compliments to the chef, Miss Terry. Can a team's start be classified as both slow and fast? Alabama threw no passes and offered little offensive spark en route to a 14-point first-quarter lead. Comparatively, the Tide mustered only 15 points, five field goals, in combined first-half play the last three weeks. Rattled was the term the announcers couldn't shake when describing the Tide's play early. Sloppy as hell is my preferred descriptor. But it was also satisfyingly electric. A 53-yard defensive back-splitting scamper, compliments of Jalen Milrow, a 28-yard Pick six, Chris Braswell, plus frustration-fueled histrionics from saving. Yes, satisfying. So satisfying. Offense, you're up. Jalen Milrow. Hey, look, he needs to continue improving. I think we all agree with that. Alabama's game planning to his capabilities. I think we saw that on Saturday. Uh, Milrow's getting through, uh, I would say getting through his reads a little quicker. I think they're, they're more maybe simplistic reads than what you might give a Tua. And that's not, that's not a knock by any stretch. I think it's true. But I think Milrow's getting through his reads uh, a little quicker. He's a little more decisive in the pocket if he's going to run, if he's going to throw. And the 53-yard touchdown run, which was the longest play by both teams uh, Saturday, I think that's... I don't think that was a designed run. I think he he had a, a one read and go, or maybe a two read and go, or a read hot and go. Uh, but I think it was a, a it was a, a quick decision clearly that he made. You can watch the play and see that it was a quick decision. Uh, but I think that was I think that was the scheme. I think uh, had the receiver been open, he would have thrown it, uh, and he immediately went to uh, to run the ball. And so that's good. That speaks to scheming and faster uh, decision making, which are two things that that as Alabama fans were rooting for in the development of one Jalen Milrow. Jalen was 10 of 12 passing. That's 83%. Uh, that's really good. Jalen threw to seven different pass catchers, threw zero interceptions. We can say that's the opponent, and that's fair. But in his last three starts, Jalen threw two interceptions, then one interception, and then now zero interceptions. That's progress. Now, we could come out against a different opponent with a different look. Uh, we're not saying that he's done throwing interceptions, although that would be nice. What we are saying is that we're seeing progress. It's 
we also saw uh, Milrow throw a beautiful pass into tight coverage to Amari Nyblack for a first down. And so it goes back to what we talked about last week. It goes back to the statement that Rick Neuheisel made that Jalen Milrow, he's, he's completing passes at such a rate that confirms he can put the ball where he wants to. He needs practice. He needs to exercise sort of his organization. I think that's how Neuheisel uh, put it, organizing his eyes so that he's seeing the right things and throwing to the right things. And Saturday was a good example uh, where it appeared Milrow was seeing more of the right things. What we're seeing are, you know, this experience, these stats, this performance on Saturday underscores the lessons that we're as fans observing Milrow's development, the lessons that we're learning, uh, again, Milrow can put the ball where he wants to, and he needs reps. So it's again, it's the it's the uh, new Heisel sort of disclaimer statement uh, that I think is continues to prove itself spot on. We also see, as we would expect to, where where Milrow still has room to improve. Um, when to give up on a play? Uh, I think that's a that's a is part of his quicker decision making there's an element there's a facet to his decision making when to give up on a play and how to give up on a play Saturday when Milrow gave up on a play he just ran out of bounds which that's fine protect the football but what we need to see a more an evolved way of ending a play when there's pressure is to throw it away so you don't lose those five yards the down is gone the play is gone you're going to keep the ball live to fight another day Let's not lose three, four, five yards as part of that process. Throw it away. Now, that sounds simple as you're driving your car, as you're sitting on your couch, as I'm podcasting here in my office. That sounds simple. Throw it away versus run out of bounds, save the save the five yards. But when you have always been the most most athletic player on the field uh, since, since Pee Wee, you've always been the superior athlete and you have had it so ingrained into your mind. Protect the ball, protect the ball, protect the ball. Don't give it away, protect the ball. Throwing it away can seem the antithesis of protecting the ball. And the evolution that, that we'll continue to see with Milrow is as he starts to understand that protecting the ball and throwing it away are really, they exist on a same sort of shared spectrum. Uh, spectrum. Uh, A.J. McCarron had that that understanding in spades, he almost was too quick to throw it away. Now, I want to be careful in saying that. I'm not knocking AJ, but AJ was the captain of, I'm going to throw it away, live to fight another down. I'm not going to, I'm not conceding any yards. Uh, I'm just going to throw it away and we're going to come back and, and fight some more. And uh, Milro, that's a, that's a lesson that I'd, I project or I would forecast over the next couple of weeks. We're going to start to see Milrow incorporate that into the game. He's not going to make all of these strides overnight. He's going to make the big ones first and then start to work through the more the, the subtleties, the nuances of playing the, uh, playing the position. And so that'll be a fun thing, uh, certainly, uh, certainly to watch. Play call, again, comes into, uh, comes into account. Uh, situational play calling. And uh, schematics as well. Uh, Alabama had another situation. Uh, could have been. Uh, it was a third and one. Should have lined up. Could have lined up under center, and said lined up in the shotgun and uh, went to run the ball and you know didn't get the first down. And Saban talked about and and I understand the point that he's making. He's there's a mechanic 
that, you know, if the team, if the line is used to, and especially the quarterback, he's talking about the quarterback here, if the quarterback is used to uh, handling that play in, in the shotgun, then we need to run it, you know, under shotgun, especially in a hostile territory with all the noise. And that, there's there's truth to that, but there's also a little bit of excuse making. What Saban is not saying is that what I'll say Milrow's progressing. There's still just deficiencies in his game relative to other quarterbacks we've seen at Alabama. You watch college football on Saturdays, you're going to see quarterbacks that are that struggle with these these same things too. We've been blessed at an ungodly level uh, the last decade or more uh, under Saban at, at Alabama. And so what Saban's really saying is that's just a nuance of Milrow's game that he's not yet comfortable with. And so we're going to err on the side of making him comfortable. And Saban then goes on to say things like, you still got to get the push up front, whether wherever he's lined up, right behind the, the center, uh, or if he's you know back in shotgun, you still got to get the push. Saban's not wrong there, but if you've got the push right there behind your center to get to get a yard, as opposed to starting with the ball and potentially a sub, uh, suspect snap, you know, four or five yards behind center, uh, it's a different kind of push. Also, you've got the athleticism of Milrow, where he can sort of jump and dive over uh, the center. So Saban's not wrong; he's not right either. And what what sort of lives in that balance? is a protective measure I think he's taking over Milrow. He's not going to get up there and knock Milrow. Uh, he's going to talk about a larger type of uh, you know circumstance. Uh, had that game been in Tuscaloosa with the home crowd sort of cooperating with the offense, we would have seen a different alignment. I'm convinced of that. In fact, we did uh, see that last week against Ole Miss. So that's a fun thing to sort of watch for, uh, especially we've got uh, another game on the road. How does handle Alabama handle a fourth and one or a third and one uh, situation, either for a touchdown or a first down. Uh, how does Alabama handle that situation? It could depend on where they are on the field, uh, but um, I, you know, especially on the road, it, again, interesting to see. I did like to see. Uh, I did like seeing uh, Ty Simpson come in late in the game. He had one pass opportunity. The game was done. The game was sort of salted away. He had one uh, uh, pass opportunity. It fell incomplete. He did again demonstrated a nice arm, accurate. But uh, we're starting to see those things uh, from from Milrow as well. I would have liked to. Uh, there's two sides of the camp. Like, hey, Milrow needs every snap he can get. Why would you take him out? Okay, that's fine. Uh, you know, he did get a little dinged up, and so giving him an opportunity to come sit down and and uh, you know catch a breather, uh, not put him out in in that action. And we always hear, why doesn't Saban ever play the backup quarterback? And so uh, you have a lot of uh, factions of the fan base sort of playing a result rather than a process. And so I lean into the process. Hey, if the game's decided. Uh, then put up a put in a backup and let a backup get some uh, get some reps, and uh, certainly that's what we did, and I was pleased to see that. Let's talk about the offensive line. Again, the offensive line continues to improve. Uh, there's a different sort of path and trajectory that the offensive line needs to, uh, the things that they need to do to improve as compared to Milrow. Uh, but we said this very early uh, on in the process. The offensive line needs to get their act together. Because if the line will play better, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is behind an improved line. The play of that quarterback will improve as well. And so Milrose is in a unique position where he needs to improve because he needs to improve. And he will also 
catch the tailwind of the uh, offensive line improvement. And so there's a little bit of a force multiplier uh, there, at least to a degree. Uh, the Alabama offensive line did demonstrate improvement uh, on Saturday against State. Uh, better po- uh, pocket protection, uh, better running lanes, uh, good push. Uh, overall, uh, I thought the line played better. They're not there yet. They've not arrived either, but we'll take progress every week. Uh, I do like Pritchard rotating in for Proctor. I think that's good competition and uh, certainly an opportunity for uh, Proctor to sit down, catch his breath, watch someone else play the position, as well as the motivational fire that that can light under his rear end. Uh, Ferguson remains out with injury, and uh, likely when he returns and he's back to form, uh, I think he's going to press Dalkert at that uh, right guard position. I like Dalkert. I'm not mad at him. He's not one of our best five linemen, and there's two or three things that I think that I would look to do uh, uh, again, from my podcast booth, right? Uh, I would put Ferguson in at the guard position, uh, and I might move Proctor down to a guard position uh, and let Pritchard stay in at a, at a tackle. So I think there's an opportunity. I still think, and I'll say that every week until it happens because I'm convinced that something is going to happen at that, that guard position. And it feels like, if, if it feels like I'm headhunting on Dalkert, I'm not mad at him individually. I'm just saying where is the opportunity to improve the line and right now, I think it's at that guard position. Uh, Seth's snaps were, uh, they were improved Saturday. Now, it's easy to say the hell they were because did you see the one that he snapped when the quarterback wasn't even behind center? Well, I did see that. Uh, and Alabama was quite fortunate to get that ball back. I'll also say, if we're going to be very specific about that, hell, that may have been one of his best snaps of the day. Because did you see where it hit Mil- Milrow? And if Milrow had been facing the center sort of lined up and had his hands out to catch it, that ball was perfectly placed. Uh, it just so happened he snapped uh, when the team wasn't ready. And, uh, again, Alabama was quite fortunate to recover that ball. In watching the replay, um, I'm not sure how Alabama did. I'm not saying that Alabama didn't. I'm just saying it looked quite convincingly at sort of first blush that Mississippi State was going to come up with that. The fighting that they do in the pile to come up with the ball, that's what got that ball back for Alabama. So kudos uh, to whoever that was uh, that recovered that joker. But, uh, yeah, good uh, good work on that. And, and, you know, but I attribute that, and, again, not an excuse, but it's a little bit of an explanation the the noise and the cowbells uh, in uh, uh, in in uh, Wade Davis Stadium, uh, wow! It's just it can truly be deafening, and uh, I just think you know Seth was concentrating on getting it right, getting it right, getting it right, and they missed you know the obvious that the quarterback wasn't uh, wasn't there. I have heard sort of talk of Seth having a wrist injury, and so he's working through a wrist injury, and that some of the bad snaps are a result of a wrist injury. And I think, well, that's great because that there's at least there's an explanation that goes to that. And then I think, is there a worse thing that a human being with a wrist injury could be charged with doing uh, than being a center for a football team? And so you're always engaging the wrist in snapping the ball. You're engaging your wrist when you block. You're engaging your wrist when you do your uh, your workouts. Uh, and so when do you get a give a wrist an opportunity to rest and recoup? I don't know the answer to that question, uh, but I'm hoping that with uh, the treatment and the medical staff that there are things that they can do. Uh, maybe it's a, a couple of lighter practices 
uh, over the course of the week to, to give Seth's wrist an opportunity to heal leading up to the game. I don't know the answer to all of those questions, but uh, I'd like to like to hope that there will be some progress. And I do think, now look, we could you could pull up a dozen uh, low snaps, that the snap we just talked about. I didn't say that Seth was perfect. I said I thought Seth's snapping was improved on Saturday. So I think there's room for that to be true. He's not where we want him to be, uh, not quite yet. But if, we, if we're if we seeing improvement, we'll take it. That's sort of the theme, right? Do you, do you, do you see that? Do you sort of sense that? Uh, that's the theme. Uh, and the offensive line and quarterback is where Alabama needs it uh, the most. And we can call out certainly the center with the snapping. The running backs, uh, I thought Alabama running backs played well. Of course, Jalen Milrow led all rushers, uh, both teams. Uh, Alabama uh, uh, running backs, I thought, acquitted themselves quite well. Uh, Jace McClellan had uh, 15 carries for 63 yards and a touchdown. And color me surprised when I went back and looked at the stats, and it was only 63 yards. Uh, It just it seemed that Jace got the – and only 15 carries. Uh, I thought he might be 24, closer to 100 yards. Because uh, it just seemed like every play is Jace, every play is Jace, every play is Jace. And it wasn't Jace when it was Roy Dell. And uh, Roy Dell had uh, 10 carries for 44 yards. Their averages were just right almost exactly the same. 10 for 44, so that's 4.4. And uh, 15 for 63. I'm not doing the math in my head. I'm remembering the stats that I looked at, and I think that came out to like 4.3. So they were, they were very close. And in fact... Um, that's 107 yards on 25 carries. So that's about what I thought Jace was going to net out as. Uh, and in fact, Jace and Roydale together earned that. Uh, Justice Haynes um, had four carries for 22 yards. He had the longest carry uh, by a running back, by a non-quarterback. And it was close. His longest was, was 15 yards. And he had, for me... What he what uh, Justice did during a day and all the all the review and positive talk of him uh, over summer and and fall camp, uh, I, I would have expected Justice to get more carries than he has to this point, even the way the season has played out. And I think Justice demonstrated his athleticism, uh, and and I think that it was on his longer play where he burst through, uh, looked like he did a, almost a little bit of a, of a spin move, uh, regained his balance, looked a little bit like Mark Ingram coming through there. And uh, I think plays like that suggest to me, I think Justice has a little more sort of top-end speed and pop than uh, uh, McClellan and Roydale does than they do. And so I'd like to see Justice you know, get closer to six or seven or eight carries Per game, per game, uh, four I think was as high on the season, or darn close to it. To go back to look at, at the MTSU stats, uh, I think Justice has the capability, given a little bit more opportunity, uh, that we're going to see some bursts from uh, from uh, Justice. And I think I think he's earned that opportunity. I would say that. And again, that one play, there was some pop to that one play. We need more of that. Uh, Alabama needs more of that coming from uh, its running uh, running game. Let's talk about the wide receivers. Amari Nyblack, tight end, uh, but he's emerging as the go-to pass catcher. Again, he had a beautiful reception in coverage. Uh, he had three catches. I didn't write down the yards. It was in the 60s, and I believe they all went for first downs. Uh, Amari had a had a good day. Had a near touchdown that was ruled out of bounds. And a lot of people, uh, I see a lot of sort of chat room warriors messaging that, oh, that wasn't reviewed. I think Alabama ran the next play quickly, so it couldn't have been reviewed. I think that was probably out of bounds. I don't know that he had 
full possession. But the athleticism that he demonstrated there was phenomenal. And, of course, the production that we've seen from Amari uh, thus far this season is phenomenal. And so to the degree that he's becoming this a security blanket or a go-to target uh, for Milro, I think is phenomenal. And uh, we're going to continue to see good things from Amari, so that's fun. Malik Benson, C.J. Dupree, another tight end, and Isaiah Bond uh, all moved the chains, uh, had catches of 17 or more yards. Uh, Jermaine Burton played uh, but was not targeted. And, uh, I, you know, call me a bad Alabama fan, but I there was a stretch where I just wasn't even thinking about Jermaine Burton, and then I saw him on the sideline, sort of, sort of pumping up the, trying to pump up the team. So, congrats for him, so you know, for uh, sort of playing cheerleader there. But I didn't miss him not playing, which was odd because he had a big, uh, big play uh, against Ole Miss uh, a week ago. But I'd like to see Jermaine get back in there. I don't know if there's an injury or circumstance that prevented him uh, from playing more. He certainly wasn't targeted. But uh, Jermaine Burton is a potential weapon for uh, this Alabama receiving core which remains to be in a position of struggle. I like a lot of the individual players, though we're not seeing it sort of mesh together on the field and deliver together on the field. Now, we can call that a function of the quarterback. I'm not going to get too disappointed or sideways over that, but uh, a star receiver is still a star receiver, and Amari Nardlock is uh, positioning himself uh, in that way. Uh, let's go offensive mini game ball. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go Elijah, uh, Elijah, uh, Elijah Pritchett stepping in for Proctor. I think he was in on at least one, at least one, certainly, I think two scoring drives for Alabama. So when he was in, he was certainly productive. And uh, I just think there's some competition brewing there at that tackle position. Alabama wins when there's competition. Whichever of the individual players wins the competition. And by gosh, I still believe whoever comes in second in that competition needs to get uh, first in the line uh, for that right guard uh, spot. So we'll see how that, uh, or the left guard spot and move Booker over because he's played both. I'm certainly pleased with that as well. So that'll be interesting to see. All right, let's flip the field like we do and talk defense. Uh, imperfect but effective is really how I would uh, characterize the Alabama defense on Saturday. Held Mississippi State to 5 of 13 on third downs, 0 or 0 for 3 on uh, fourth downs. Held Mississippi State, Will Rogers, uh, senior quarterback, uh, very prolific uh, in his his career. Alabama's had his number. He's had rough days against Alabama, and, and certainly Saturday was was no exception, though he did register his first touchdown uh, against Alabama. Uh, he only threw for 107 uh, passing yards. He was well under 50%. Uh, he averaged four yards per pass. He also threw three interceptions. Now, uh, Will Rogers, I've always enjoyed him. Seems like a good kid. He's a senior now, but um, he's always thrown interceptions to Alabama, and, t- and Saturday was the first day that he uh, actually threw uh, a touchdown, so I guess good on him for, for that. Alabama defense allowed 154 yards rushing, which is more than we'd like. Woody Marks, uh, the lead running back for Mississippi State, averaged 7.6 yards uh, per carry. Uh, he was dinged up and kept sort of rotating out, but he'd come back in and look as, as fresh as a daisy and, and uh, spring off uh, another long run. Uh, and then Mississippi State had just a wide-open quarterback sneak right up the middle. I think there was a gap fill on several of the runs, and certainly that one, and Saban had a lot to say about that. It's the second week in a row where a running quarterback uh, has just dashed right up the middle for a touchdown on Alabama, and so that's just a run fit. I think... 
my opinion, uh, I think these run fits will improve uh, with one of two things. Uh, and again, we, we're seeing we're using the word improvement, and we need uh, Alabama needs progress. Uh, Tresman Marshall, as he gets more reps as a starting sort of play caller uh, linebacker, that's going to help the Alabama run fits uh, improve. Or or let's just get Deontay Lawson back from injury. Uh, he is one of I think one of the best linebackers certainly in the conference, uh, if not uh, if not the country. Uh, let's get Deontay Lawson back calling the plays. And he's a youngster at the position, even as it is. But he's the best linebacker Alabama has. Let's get him back healthy. Let's get him back calling plays. He is the play-calling uh, linebacker. Let's get him back in place, and I think that's going to tighten up some of some of the run fits. We talk about run fits. Uh, we, we sort of harp on run fits every once in a while uh, on the podcast, and I think this is this is a good uh, this is a good moment to do that. When it when you're missing your run fits, your defense can look terrible. You can have ten and a half players doing exactly what they need to do, but that one half a player where they're half a step out of their fit or they're leaning the wrong way in a run fit can make the entire defense look terrible. I go back to Virginia Tech, uh, Alabama beat Virginia Tech. I think it was twenty-five to seven uh, back in a kickoff classic game. And Virginia Tech scored their lone touchdown on an 80-yard touchdown run because the the linebacker was half a step out of place. And the running back hit the hole, and uh, all the other run fits were in place. Uh, the action of the receivers pulled the DBs away from, uh, away from the run, and then they were downfield uh, ready to block. And uh, it turned what should have been a three-yard gain into an 80-yard touchdown. And there's an element to that. That, you know, again, the point there is when the run fit is not there, it can look really bad. Uh, the result can look worse than the offense. Like I'm a yard and a half out of position. I'm three feet out of position. I'm leaning the wrong way, and the guy, and I, I barely can get an arm on a guy, so I miss him, and it's an 80 yard touchdown. I was that close, but that far. And so that's what a run fit, that's what missing out on the run fits can do. And so for uh, Woody Marks to average what he did, uh, for two quarterbacks to run uh, for touchdowns, it's just a run fit. There's just one player out of position or one player just barely out of position, and that that is eminently coachable. I'm specifically putting in that on uh, on Tresman and uh, and Deontay Lawson, you know, returning. There are other; those are not the specific players that are not in position. Those are just the players calling the defense that can. You you always see a linebacker sort of run up and sort of tap a, a defensive lineman on the ass to get them in a, in a different gap. Well, that's part of the play caller knowing where people should be lined up. And so it's not necessarily that Trez was out of position, uh, but he could have known that someone was uh, and called it uh, called it a little differently or corrected that action. So again, I might. I know that I'm directionally correct, if not specifically correct. That's something that uh, I think the coaching staff, Kevin Steele, I think that's imminently fixable, and uh, we'll see how that progresses as the season continues. All right, let's call out some individual players. Uh, as we do, we're talking about linebackers, and so uh, Jahil, uh, Jahad Campbell was in on 14 tackles. A lot of those were shared tackles, but he was active. Uh, and uh, disruptive. He had half a uh, half a sack for TFL. I'll say this. I've said this before, and I'm con- I'll continue to say this because every time I think of John Campbell, 
uh, I think about uh, seeing him warm up before the Texas game, and I like to cast that game out of my mind because it was an ugly Alabama uh, outing, uh, especially late. But Jahan Campbell, when the players come out, uh, players come out before the game and they do sort of individual warm-ups, and then there's a team sort of structured warm-up. And the players come out in the individual warm-ups, and they may work with a trainer. They may work through a, like a routine that they have, maybe something they did in high school, maybe something specific that they know that they need to work on uh, you know, to sort of get their mind right for the game. And no one warmed up harder than uh, Jahad Campbell. Uh, it was amazing the work that he put in, just warming up, uh, just warming up for the game. What he did to warm up for the game before the team warm-ups would be most of our daily workouts on a on a heavy big day, and uh, so I, I continue to be impressed with uh, with Campbell. And so his day Saturday doesn't surprise me, and uh, I think as he get he had a, a he missed some early time. This season, due to uh, having a little minor surgery, but still surgery, uh, they cut on you, and uh, uh, with his knee. And I think as he gets further away from that, and it wasn't a big sort of ACL ligament injury; it was a, just a little cleanup. And so he's he's back and obviously playing well. And he's, as he gets further away from that little minor procedure, uh, and gets more time, sort of at practice, more reps. Uh, Gamble's going to be a star, and uh, it's it's it, it is happening. We are seeing it, and so uh, let's uh, let's enjoy that. Number thirty, J- uh, Jahad Campbell, uh, true freshman, Kalem Downs. Uh, he was in on thirteen tackles, had an interception. He gets bigger and better every week. His level of comfort on the field is uh, outstanding, and uh, he's certainly a fun one to watch. Uh, Jalen Key transfer was in on nine tackles, and uh, he had a. Uh, I thought he had a good day. He was Johnny on the spot in uh, more than one play, uh, different parts of the field. Same with Malachi Moore, uh, six tackles, two tackles for loss. Uh, John uh, ja Moran, Lathan, we got to mention him. We talked about Chris Braswell and his interception. Well, Braswell intercepted a ball that was tipped at the line of scr- scrimmage, and so it's tipped at the line of scrimmage. The ball's sort of flailing. Uh, Braswell was able to pick it up and uh, or pick it out of the air, not up off the ground. Um, the batted ball and return it for a touchdown. But it was John Moran Lathan who batted that. So he had uh, half a sack, half a TFL, and uh, one glorious pass uh, deflection. Uh, Kool Aid McKinstry, um, I love his stat line one pass deflection. And it's kind of like if you know, you know. <laughs> and that, that's Kool Aid McKinstry right there. He also had a fumble recovery. Uh, early, earlier in the game, and uh, my mini game ball uh, on defense. There's a lot of individual players that we could call out uh, for their play. Uh, I'm not going to give a litany of all of that. We can all look at the box box score, but those are some of the players that stood out to me uh, the most. And uh, and one of the players that his stat line wasn't as sexy as some of the others, but dude just continues to play and just continues to make plays. And uh, that's Terry and Arnold. He had uh, three tackles on the day. He did have a TFL. Uh, he is teams continue to target him. Uh, he's the, you know, we've talked about this. He's the corner that plays opposite of Kool-Aid McKinstry's. Whoever that is, is, is going to get some additional sort of air traffic and, uh, teams continue to, to, uh, work on Arnold and he continues every week to get better early in the season. Uh, I think he was beat a couple of times. I think Texas, uh, took advantage of him once, uh, at least once, 
I don't know that there's been a lot of that since then. Teams continue to work on him. They continue to go to him, and he continues to, to shut it down. And uh, I know at, at one point uh, he drew Saban's ire, uh, but Terry and Arnold, all he, does is, all he does is just show up and play. And uh, he had a nice pass deflection much later uh, in the game, and so hats off uh, to Terry and Arnold, many game ball winner there. All right, let's talk uh, special teams. Uh, Will Reichert, 4-4 four, four four on PATs, 4-4 four four on field goals, and uh, he had some nice field goals. He had two 48-yarders, uh, yeah, 38-yarder and, uh, and a 34-yarder, uh, so definitely nice there. Good on him. Uh, my boy, James Burnup, uh, three punts for 160 yards. He averaged uh, 53.3. Uh, let's not cheat him that three, 53.3. And he had a long of 67, and uh, I hate that I missed that. Uh, kick on the TV because the channels, uh, if you were watching it, it was uh, the LSU Ole Miss game ran long, and so it was on another network, and then they sort of brought it back over, or another of the uh, ESPN channels. It wasn't the Ocho, but um, nonetheless, I missed the 67-yarder. But as I started watching, when I when I did get in, not long after that, I was, I was like, hey, this is a field goal. this is a field position game, and uh, I, just, I just was noticing that the first couple of, of possessions and it was that 67 and unbeknownst to me uh but it was that james burnup 67 yard punt that set up it being a field position battle with alabama being on the upper hand of that so i thought that was really really good uh kool-aid mckinstry fumbled a punt return it's the second uh time this season where kool-aid mckinstry has been involved in a sort of a botch with with a punt I know that Kool-Aid is a better punt returner than what we're seeing from him this season. I know that. I also know that if we continue to leave him in to field punts, he's going to prove me right in that way. He's going to have a big return, maybe multiples, maybe for touchdowns. I know these things. I also wish we had another option at the position. And if we don't have it, manufacture it and maybe we're doing that every day and every week in practice we just haven't seen it on the field yet i don't know someone has to be the backup i think maybe it's terry and arnold um and again i don't want to i don't want either of our corners uh to do that but if i had to pick one it would be arnold over mckinstry although i know mckinstry is the better punt returner of the two so i i, I live with that conflict uh because the 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 flip point of that is perhaps our single best defensive player is returning punts where he can be injured. And I still have Eddie Jackson too fresh in my mind. Uh, and I grew up with uh, Fernando Bryant returning punts and that making me hella nervous. So there you have it. Uh, that's in my blood. I, I, I don't know that that ever goes away, uh, even though I understand the reasoned argument on the other side. Uh, Connor Talty, uh, backup kicker. Uh, damn it, if he didn't have a tackle and a kickoff return, I'd rather the coverage team uh, get that. But, you know, good on you, Talty. Uh, that's nice. So as we wrap up uh, our virtual tailgate, uh, we had a virtual tailgate Saturday morning. As part of the virtual tailgate, we pick a score and uh, who's, who, who we think is going to have the best score. And uh, Saturday, international travel traveler and uh, Peloton aficionado uh, Tony Picked uh, the closest score, and doggone it, if he didn't almost pick it on the nose, the final score was 40-17, to 17, and Tony picked 42-17. to 17. So he was off only 
uh, by two, uh, two points. That was, uh, looking at all of the scores that were submitted uh, on Saturday, a lot of 35s to 20-type scores. Uh, Tony's 42-17 to 17 was the most aggressive margin. And uh, Alabama, uh, Alabama hit that, so that is awesome. Uh, next up, Alabama travels to College Station to uh, to face uh, Texas A&M. Uh, Alabama's 0 for 1 in their last visit uh, to College Station. This is a game that Jimbo Fisher focuses on. This is the game that he thinks about every day uh, of the year, and so I suspect that it will be an ugly game. Uh, the last couple of games with Texas A&M have been ugly. We've lost one and come close to losing another, uh, won, it, won it very closely. Uh, one score games both uh, both times. One went the tide's way and one didn't. Uh, I suspect that this, again, will be an ugly game of that of that variety. Uh, special teams and defense. Uh, the, the, or this is the kind of game where special teams and defense can make a significant contribution to the win for the winning team. We need that to be Alabama. We talked about in the preseason this may be the most athletic special teams unit that Alabama has had maybe in the country because of the level of talent on Alabama's roster. This is a week we need to cash that in. This is a week where Alabama may need to cash in that chip. And so uh, let's see if that happens uh, Saturday. Uh, Turnovers by the defense, we'd like to see more of those because they can contribute certainly as well. I do believe, and I have a Travis-approved disclaimer, that I say the style of game is a 20-17 to 17 style of game. Over the course of the week, we're going to learn more about Alabama. Uh, we're going to learn more about Texas A&M, the relative health of the players. And so when we do our pick Saturday morning in the next Zoom call or the next uh, virtual tailgate, uh, I retain the right to change my score. But the style of game is going to be really close, potentially low scoring, 20-17 to 17 style game. Uh, edge of your seat. That's all you'll need uh, Saturday. All right, administratively, ooh, and I've got to stage something here. Uh, let's pull this up. Uh, administratively, uh, I want to, we have a five-star review from, um, now, it, the name here is Mr. McSchmitty, and so there's a certain way you have to say it. It's Mr. McSchmitty. I think you have to, Schmitty, I think you have to get that out right. And, uh, and so Mr. McSchmitty is, uh, has given us a five-star review, and for that we, uh, we are certainly uh, gracious. Sort of the write-up here is, this podcast is life-changing, and uh, goes on to write, I have been listening to this podcast for about six years now, and I wish I had found it sooner. I look forward to each episode, and now the podcast has premium content for seriously serious Alabama fans. Subscribe. You won't be sorry. Also, the Zoom call community that has developed has made former strangers into friends, and several now attend games and socialize together. I have learned a lot about the game itself and watch games differently now. The premium content is a bargain at any price. Roll Tide. Well, thank you, Mr. McSchmitter, uh, for the review. Uh, truly, truly gracious for that. And everything you wrote there, uh, I could not have written it as elegantly uh, as you did. Uh, there is a, a subset of the uh, support group, uh, the, the podcast support team, 
that um, I always say support group, and it's not a support group. It's a team. It's a support team. It's a support team. And uh, but anyways, uh, truly uh, appreciative of everyone who uh, participates in that. But there is a subset that has gravitated towards uh, the virtual tailgates or the Zoom calls uh, that we have. And then there's a sort of a, a almost that full group, but there's a subset of of that group has almost organically on their own uh, created uh, like a chat that we do during games, uh, during the week as well, off seasons as well. And uh, we've already made two trips. Uh, the subset of the subset has made uh, two group trips uh, to Tuscaloosa. And uh, we're well on the way for uh, for our third group trip to uh, Tuscaloosa. It's an incredible amount of fun. And truly, former strangers uh, turning into friends 100%. That is true. Uh, in a way that, in a way that you almost wouldn't believe if you weren't uh, sort of parked right in the middle of it, and uh, that has been phenomenal. So we appreciate the five star review. If you're listening to uh, the podcast uh, and you enjoy what we do, please go to your uh, sort of podcast outlet and uh, leave us a review and and uh, give us a, a, a you know five. We like the five star uh, in the reviews. It helps people find us. We love the engagement. Reach out to us. Uh, Alabama Football Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're on the website, Alabama Football Podcast.com. We love the engagement. And uh, hey, it's a free trial uh, into uh, sort of the support team. And so you can get a, a, what, a weekly free trial with a, a, like a 30 days free. And you can do the annual uh, subscription that had this that comes that starts with a six-week uh, free trial. So hell, you can almost get through the rest of the season for free to see if it's something you're interested in, sort of the rest of the way. So uh, so there you go. Uh, our next virtual tailgate is Saturday morning, and so um, if you have those uh, details in your inbox, we look forward to uh, seeing you on Saturday. If you want them in your inbox, then reach out. And uh, we can figure out how we can do that for you as well. In the meantime, what do we do? Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tie. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide.